0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Children's Church will be presenting the morning service to us. They'll be presenting the worship leading in the first part of the service like our team did this morning. And some special music. And then afterward, we have a special opportunity to have the music team from Grace Bible College. And they are going to be with us in the morning service. They're traveling across the country. And they'll be here on uh, Sunday morning. And they're going to be presenting uh, during the sermon time their ministry for us. Hey, Justin, good to see you. Uh, we'll see you, be next week. Uh, they'll be with us. So I want you to uh, be sure and make sh- uh, invite somebody to come next Sunday. We're going to have a special worship time, a lot of music. And I know that it will be something that uh, you'll enjoy. So please plan uh, to be with us. I noticed in uh, your announcement there, Kevin, that uh, your son, the church they're getting married at, is in Wrigleyville. Wrigleyville, Chicago. Any of you ever been to Wrigleyville? No? It's right around the stadium, right? Wrigley Stadium. I kind of stumbled upon it with Pastor Ken Farman a few years back. And, um, you know, Wrigley Field is a, um, uh, something that is associated with Chicago. You know, it's one of the fixtures in Chicago, just like the Cubs losing is a fixture in Chicago, right? And uh, so uh, Wrigleyville is a place that everybody knows. Now, in Seattle, what are some of the fixtures in Seattle? Uh, huh? Space needle? All right, okay, wait a minute. All right, so on any, on any given... Um, uh, well, okay, let's say this. When there's a, like a a nationally broadcast sports event, like the Seahawks this last year, of course, when they were in the playoffs and everything, if uh, the Sounders are on national. Anytime somebody's on national broadcast in Seattle, during one of the breaks in the game, where do they always go and show? Pike Place Market. They always go down to Pike Place Market. And among uh, the, the key attractions at Pike Place Market, in addition to the yarn shop my wife works at, <laughs> there are uh, two really important tourist sites. Uh, one of them actually is the first Starbucks. You can go down there anytime this time of year and there'll be a lineup to go in there because uh, it's the first Starbucks. But what is the other main attraction? Throwing the fish. Yes, in Seattle, it's throwing the fish. Or catching the fish, yeah. Okay, um, this is a fixture in Seattle. Everybody knows about it. Just about when they come here, everybody cruise season. I understand started yesterday officially. The first uh, cruise to Alaska. People come from all over the country, and they always want to go down. And you know, you've been down there, haven't you? There will be a line up packed in there, and of course, nobody's buying anything. So you, know, <laughs> so you wait and wait and wait until somebody buys. this. said, I thought it'd be kind of fun this morning. I was thinking about getting the salmon. And I was going to throw it to the teenagers here and see if one of you guys could catch it. <laughs> but the only one I really have is frozen. And I would throw it to Andrew. And he might miss it and his grandma might get hit by the fish. So, <laughs> so I decided that wouldn't be so cool. So uh, I'm not sure you catch that, Andrew. So anyway, uh, but, you know, salmon are, of course, associated with Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Um, it's a big deal. And you know, people will come here and they'll spend a lot of money on salmon, have it packed up and shipped all over the country, all over the world. Uh, We are known for our salmon and uh, fresh salmon and of course it's gotten to be such a media event when the first Copper River salmon comes in, right? And an airplane all painted up and everything brings the first Copper River salmon, they come out the door in Alaska Airlines holding this salmon. It's quite a deal, isn't it? It's a big it's a big deal. And salmon have become this as is associated with Seattle as rain, as the greenery, as Mount Rainier, salmon. Well, you know, in the Bible, in the gospel stories, there's also a fish that is very important part of the story of the Gospels. And let us have a word of prayer and we'll go into the Gospels this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering today. And as we open your word, uh, Lord, we just pray our hearts would be softened to your word, that uh, there are things that crowd out uh, your word in our hearts and minds today, that there would be space uh, to listen to your word today. We thank you for the freedom we have. We realize as we meet today we have brothers and sisters around the world who do not have this freedom. And we thank you that we can come and gather as we please to open your word, proclaim it, share it, and live by it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to have you open your Bibles. We're actually going to be in John today, but if you'd open to Luke chapter 5 to begin this morning. In Luke chapter 5, we're doing a short series here up to the first part of June on resurrection appearances of our Lord Jesus Christ after Easter, as we gathered two weeks ago and celebrated Easter together. And before we go to the Gospel of John today, I want to go back sort of to the beginning of the story. In um, Luke... And it says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, the fish and fishing become a very prominent part of the Galilean ministry and story of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galilee is up north is where he spent his life. He came down, he was born in Bethlehem, two years in Egypt, but he lived in Galilee, and that's where the vast majority, almost all the Gospels, except for the the, the Passion Week uh, and a couple of occasions in John, take place in Galilee. And around the shores of Galilee, fishing was a very, very important business. It was a very important, just like uh, orchards are in in Eastern Washington. It was a it was a food staple, it was a good business, and the fish that are in the Sea of Galilee. And this fish here is is really was be a uh, a species of tilapia. Am I saying that right? Tilapia, salmon. I can say, huh? Tilapia. Okay, that's good enough. All right, tilapia. Tilapia. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, in Israel, it's called Saint Peter's fish. That's a lot easier to say. Okay, so. <laughs> And the tilapia um, are smaller fish. And you can see in this picture, you know, they're about, they're about this big. And they're a um, sort of a white fish. And uh, today they're called St. Peter's fish because when you go to Israel, when we were there, you know, you generally try to take one of the tours across the Sea of Galilee where, where Jesus went. And when you land, uh, you get off your boat and you go sit down at this big open-air restaurant and they serve you uh, St. Peter's fish. And... Um, it's kind of bony and stuff, you know, but, you know, you're not going to go to Israel and not eat, you know, a St. Peter's fish. It's kind of fun. And these fish were uh, very plentiful in the lake. They still fish them today. There are different varieties and so forth. They're very plentiful, and, um, and the fishing was good business. And this becomes, you know, part of the context or background, backdrop of so much of the Gospels in Galilee is the fishing, the fish stories, and the fishermen that became Jesus' disciples. And so it says here in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus uh, asked these guys, let's take your boat. He commandeered their boat. They went out into the water, and he sat down, and he spoke from the boat. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we have worked all night, and we haven't caught anything. The, the, the fishing on the Sea of Galilee, um, the best fishing was at night into the early morning hours is when the fish would, would most likely be there to, to catch. So that was the prime time to fish. We, we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, this is not Jesus' first encounter with these men. This is Sometimes you kind of get the impression he just walked up the shore and said, follow me. If you read the previous chapter, you'll see that Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. These men had already had some encounters with Jesus along the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is right on the shore of Galilee. And so they, they, had, they knew about him. They had seen him. They've already seen a, a miracle. And they have been you know, mulling this over in their minds. And, and so this is why Peter says, but if you say so, I will let down the nets. I've already seen you do, do amazing things. I will do so, but I just want you to know we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, which would be very unusual for these. For, this was their business. This would have been very unusual. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And they signaled their partners in their boat to come and help them so they could come and fill and, and filled both boats so full they began to sink. Now, the boats that, this is um, this is sort of a model boat that's been re- reconstructed based on a. There was a, quite an amazing archaeological find. It's called the, the, the Jesus boat. Doesn't know if it was really or not, but it's, it was found in the Sea of Galilee area. And you go there today, and there's the amount of people seeing the kind of the skeleton of this, this archaeological skeleton of a boat that was discovered. So they've kind of reconstructed a model of it, and based on that model, this this is very similar to what the first century boat would have looked like. And there were a couple of them. They would work. In, they would work in pairs, is, is how they would work. And they would drop uh, the nets between them and kind of sometimes circle the fish. And then how they how they fished is they would they would take a they would take a net. Um, uh, it's a circular net, and then they would they would throw it uh, in the water and it, and it had weights around the edges, and it would drop down over the fish, and then they would pull it up. So it's all net fishing. And they're big nets. They're large nets. And they take a lot of work, a lot of maintenance, a lot of repair. And, and they, this is what they did. And they, and they threw those nets out where, where they hadn't caught any fish at all. And of course, it says that they, they was so full that, that they, couldn't, they couldn't even hardly get the were beginning to sink. And they come in, and I want you to notice that it says in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. So he'd already, he'd already heard Jesus teach. He'd already seen some of the things he'd, he'd done. And he says, I, I'm not worthy. Leave me. And, and, uh, and, and, and he says, it says here, for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish he had taken. And, and notice, so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So Peter... James and John, the, the inner three eventually of the disciples, they are already business partners. They, were, they worked together. These were partners in business, and it was a good business. And they're probably family business, and they probably had a fleet of boats. And these three men worked together. But Jesus said to Simon, this is where you know, the fish becomes such an important part of the story. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will catch men. Don't be afraid, Simon. He was fearful. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And they pulled their nets up on shore, and they left everything, and they followed Jesus. Listen, these men left their business. They they weren't weren't just kind of aimlessly wandering around Galilee. These were businessmen, just like some of you are businessmen and women. You have your own business, maybe a small business you run that you invested in, that you put a lot in, that your really life revolves around in a lot of ways. Running a business is a lot of work, doesn't it? And, and, and these men left it. They just left it because they were willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what they did. And throughout the Gospels, we have stories of fish. We have a, a story of the fish with the, with the tax coin in its mouth. It just so happens that tilapia fish, has a mouth big enough that could hold a nice-sized Roman coin. Um, you see Jesus feeding the crowds, the thousands, with fish. The fishermen, this theme is behind in the backdrop of the Gospels. And so go to John chapter 21, as we're considering the, 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 the appearances of our Lord Jesus Christ after the cross and the tomb. And I want you to notice in, uh, as we come to verse chapter 21, We'll kind of go to the end. We'll start at the end here in verse 14. This was now the third time, John 21:14. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you have to put the four gospels together. And it probably in your Bible, if you have any kind of a reference or study Bible, if not, there are plenty of resources available to you on the Internet and so on to kind of put a a harmony of the Gospels and a harmony of these last events of Jesus' life. And you can kind of, there's there's several resurrection appearances. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul kind of gives us an order of them. And when you take Paul's order in 1 Corinthians 15 and this here, this is up in Galilee. This is going to take place back up north. They've been down in Jerusalem. They've been down in Jerusalem during the crucifixion and resurrection. But now they have to travel and they're walking, remember, they're walking, and, it's, and it's, it's a distance. It would take several days to get back up to Galilee, because Jesus has said, tell my brothers to go up there and to wait for me. So he appeared to them in Judea, in Jerusalem area, and then the disciples go back up to Galilee and await the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us here, this is the third time he's appeared to them. He's appeared to them, and it might, the reference might be, if you remember, he appeared to them once when Thomas wasn't there. He appeared to them as a group when Thomas wasn't there and Thomas wouldn't believe. He appeared to them later on as a group. And when Thomas said, My Lord and my God, and he, he acknowledged his belief, that could be the other two since we're talking about the group of disciples, not just Peter. And so for the third time, he appears to a group of disciples. So go back to the beginning of chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. It goes by a couple different names. The Sea of the Gennesaret, Galilee, and Tiberias. It's the same place. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who Gary will share some more on that in a few weeks, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, Peter's partners, and two other disciples were gathered together so not all of the 12 and the other two may not even been of the 12 we don't know there are other disciples that uh, were not of the 12 as Kevin spoke last week on the road to Emmaus they were not of the 12 and they're up there in Galilee and Peter says i'm going out to fish i'm going fishing it doesn't give us any background, doesn't give us what's going on, doesn't say why. it just announces, Peter says, I'm going, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And when Peter says that, this is not a, uh, a vacation. You know, this is not just an excursion. They're going out to fish commercially because we'll see as the story develops, they're doing exactly what they did in the first part of the story in Luke when, when the story begins in Galilee. They're going to go out and fish for, good, for, for real to catch fish to sell. Peter says, "I'm going fishing." And Peter told them that, and they said, "We'll go with you." So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now I'll have to, I want to stop here for a minute. There, oftentimes there's assumptions made, especially about Peter. You know a lot of, Peter gets very stereotyped, you know and there's a lot of assumptions made about Peter. We should probably be a little careful, because if they're wrong, we don't want to be saying things about Peter that aren't true, you know. And, but there's a lot of assumption when you read a lot of commentaries and maybe devotionals and so on. You know, it might be in the tone of voice. It might be in the tone of voice. You know, the tone of voice could be, I'm going fishing. I'm, I'm going fishing. And that tone of voice and maybe that kind of a hand gesture and so forth uh, that that type of thing might be, um, you know, what I'm done. I'm, I'm tired of I'm waiting. Nothing's happening. This is discouraging. I'm I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to fishing. You know that, that there are many who think that, and they assume that, that Peter is, is sort of thrown in the towel. He's given in and he's going fishing. It doesn't say that. It could be Peter says, "Hey guys, let's go fishing, right? Let's go fishing." I mean, you know what? Uh, this is what they knew. I mean, what, what do you do when you're kind of anxious and waiting, and, and things aren't happening? What do you do? Al says, "I'm going to go paint." <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, some of you say, "I'm going I'm to go golf." You know, I'm going to go knit. I'm going to go cook. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to shoot some baskets. I mean, it's not necessarily giving and throwing, but you know, you're, you're just you're kind of anxious. You're waiting. You, you know, something's going to happen, but you just have to wait. And, and, you know, what do you do at the airport when you're waiting for that airplane, you know? I'm, I'm going to do this. And, it, you know, let's, let's give Peter the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, maybe Peter is, you know, he's, they're anxious. They've seen the resurrected Lord. They have seen him. They have you remember that song, um, And I'll Never Be the Same, Uh Larnell Harris, right? Remember that back in the 80s? I think it was very popular, a very powerful song. We've just seen Jesus and we'll never be the same. You know, they've seen the resurrected Lord. They're not doubting he's resurrected. But they're probably anxious because they're waiting. He told them, go to Galilee and wait for me there. And they're waiting, they're waiting. And and he hasn't come yet. So there's probably maybe some anxiety, some um, impatience, maybe just some anxiousness and some energy. And, 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 you know, this is their job. This is their, their, what they do. They aren't discipling anymore. They're not traveling with Jesus. There's no common purse to live off of and so forth. And Peter says, let's go fishing. So they go fishing. And I, let's, let's leave it at that. Let's not read anything discouraging about Peter into this. Um, any more than if I said, I'm going to go shoot some baskets. You know, not that I was a great basketball player or anything, but that, you know, that's just something I might do if I was anxious. You know, or I'm going to read a book. They go fishing and early and they caught nothing. Now that's a little discouraging. You know, if you're a commercial fisherman and you go out and you caught you fish all night, you notice they go out and they fish all night because that's the time to fish in the Sea of Galilee. And it's coming toward morning, they caught nothing. They caught nothing. Their nets were empty. They had nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shores looking at the disciples. Jesus stands on the shore, looking out at the disciples. But they, they saw him, but they did not realize it was him. They saw him, but they didn't realize it was Jesus. And Jesus calls out them in verse 5. Uh, I think the King James, and maybe in, in New King James, says children. It actually is the word, pediah. It is the word for my, my little ones. Um, not necessarily diminutive, you know, like halo kids. But that is the word, children. Um, But this man on the shore calls out, and the NIV says, friends, friends, haven't you any fish? Have you caught any fish? And, you know, um, fishermen are kind of an interesting group, aren't they? If the fishing's really good, and someone says to you, how's the fishing, what do you say? Huh? Huh? You know, yeah. Well, Rich would say, not so great, because he didn't want them to come and fish and take their spot, right? Okay, that happens. Um, other times, if it's not so great, you don't want to admit it, you say, it's okay, it's okay. But these guys are honest. Jesus says, how's it going? Have you, have you caught any fish? And they said, no, no, we, we've, we haven't caught anything. We haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, they don't know it's Jesus yet. They don't know it's Jesus. And, he's, and this man on shore, this man on shore says, well, these are seasoned fishermen. This is their business. And, and this guy on shore says, well, try the other side of the boat. And it doesn't say they recognize Jesus, but they do it. Now, why did they do that? Well, is, is it possible that, you know, sometimes on a, a real glassy water surface, Sometimes when you're back away, sometimes you can see a school of fish. Maybe they thought he saw something that they didn't see. They're about 100 yards out, though, and, and they didn't know. But, but he says, throw it in the other side, and they did. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, we read the story in Luke. What happened in Luke, when they first came, Jesus Said, go out and let's drop the nets down. Now, Master, we've we've fished all night, but we'll do it if you say so. They put down the nets, and what happened? They they were they were they were, they were so full. They were they, they couldn't they couldn't get them in the boat hardly. And all of a sudden things begin to connect, things begin to click. Wait a minute. We've been here before. Huh? Deja vu. We've seen this story before. This 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 has happened before. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the disciple whom, whom Jesus loved said to Peter, who's the disciple Jesus loved, by the way, in verse 7? huh? It's John. And um, it's not that, he, not that he only loved John, but John is the author. And that's how John identifies himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so John says to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. It's the Lord standing there on shore back there. It's, it's him. He's here. He told us to come, to wait. He's here. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, it is the Lord, Peter wrapped, and there's a little confusion in the Greek language exactly what happens here with his clothing. It's not that critical. It says he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped in the water. Well, you might think that's kind of counterproductive to, to, to put your garment on and then jump in the water. Um, but they were, they were stripped down for action in a sense. They probably just had you know, the shorts type, loincloth type thing on. And they they would dive in the water for these nets. When the nets were down there and gathered, someone would dive in the water and help manipulate them to get the fish up and so on. And Peter may have been the one diving in and out. And and, and he comes out, and and so he does put his garment, he ties it up around here probably most likely. And Peter Peter jumps in the water. In verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed... They saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And again, fish and the bread. Any story, fish and bread, huh? Feeding of the thousands twice, fish and bread. Um, you know these these connections in the Gospels. These things that are coming together with this background of the fishermen and the bread and the bread of life. And they come and the, and the fire is burning. The coals are burning. And the the fish are there, and Jesus has bread. And and Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. These were not small ones. These were good-sized St. Peter's fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. you notice the difference between the first time that miracle happened? What happened the first time? When they were pulling it in what? The nets were tearing. This time there are so many fish for one catch, but the nets were not tearing. And he brought it in, and in verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And this is kind of interesting. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. Just like on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Why didn't You know, it's, it's an interesting comment. Remember, John is writing this. John was there. And John says, none of us dared ask. We, we knew it was Jesus, but none of us dared ask. Well, if they knew it was Jesus, why would they have to even think about daring to ask? You know, it, it, Jesus is resurrected. It's him, but it's different. They had been in a room where he just came into the room without opening the door. They, they saw the, the nail hands in his, in his hands and in his, in his ankle, his feet, but he was resurrected. He was whole. It was him, but it was different. And just a sidelight here you know, um, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that Jesus becomes the first fruits of the resurrection, the first fruits of the resurrection. We don't really, we talked about this in Bible instruction last week a little bit. You know, there's a lot of mystery about the resurrection. We, we, uh, we, we sang a song about the things that, that we, the, the first one by David Crowder, about the, the things that we hear in, in heaven. And you know, that's when, when Paul, if it was Paul, was caught up to the third heaven and he said, I heard things I couldn't even express. They didn't say he saw, he just said, I heard things. Whatever he heard was so powerful, he couldn't even repeat it. There's so much about heaven and the resurrection we just never we can't understand. But we do know this. John, the same author, John, says in his first epistle, chapter three, a little children, what what it will be, we, we don't know, but we do know this. When we see him, we will be like him. We will be like him. It was him. He had a resurrected body, but it was different. But it was him. And I think that maybe is behind this when the disciple, when John says, you know, we all knew it was him, but we didn't dare ask if it was him. There was something different, but it was him, and we knew it was him. Now, in one verse we skipped here, I want you to go back. I want you to go back to the end of verse 11. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not i 'll ask you a question of all the details that are not in the Bible <laughs> when you 'd like to know some of the details you know why one hundred and fifty three fish in luke five it doesn 't tell us how many fish were in the net, but in this particular case, John specifically says, which meant somebody probably counted them why one hundred and fifty-three fish. Why, I mean, what difference would it have made if they just, we get the picture, there were so many fish in the net, they couldn't, hard, they couldn't pull it in. You know, we could have said, you know, about 150, and that would have been fine. But 153 tilapia, tila, tila, tila got it, tilapia, okay, fish. One hundred and fifty-three St. Peter's fish that came in that day. And as you can imagine, if you read the commentaries and various books and listen to sermons and so on, actually going back to the earliest of the church fathers, in the early centuries of the Christian church, there has been no end of speculation about this number. Everything from, in the old world, there were 153 species of fish that were known. Uh, however, later on, that was proven to be false, okay? There's all sorts of mathematical figures with the, with the tribes of Israel, with the number of men, with the, you know, some of you engineers and mathematicians. You would have a lot of fun with some of these theories about how you get to this 153. The fact is, obviously, we're not told. So your guess is as good as mine, as long as you aren't dogmatic about it. So I'll give you my guess my guess. I know a few fishermen, okay? I know Bob Jokie, and I know Jerry Johnson, and I know Dwayne Oberg, and some of the others that go fishing. If Bob Jokey went to Alaska, if you guys went to Alaska, Jerry, and you caught 153 salmon, and you showed up in church the next week and I said, uh, Bob, Dwayne, Jerry, uh, Carl, how many fish did you guys catch? Oh, a lot. You think they would say that? Huh? A lot. They would say what? We caught 153 salmon. Right? Come on, Jerry. Isn't that right? He'd probably stand up and wave his hands and everything else. We caught 153. This is a fisherman type deal, you know? Uh, they keep track of these things. And this was so significant. If I ask some of you teenagers that are running track and so on, and you, and you had a, a, you know, a, a stellar time, how did you do? Oh, it took me a couple minutes. No, you'd say I did it in this, this, and down to the hundredths of a second. This is a, this is, this is significant. This was so many fish; it was so unusual that these these, these fishermen counted it, and John records it. We caught hundred and fifty-three fish. It was so significant. Why? As we conclude this, I wanna, I wanna. There's, there's a theme. In the Gospels, it's actually a theme in the Bible. It crossed dispensations and the ages. It's one of those interdispensational. It's one of those uh, horizontal truths, as, as Craig has in his book on, 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 on dispensationalism. These truths that run across the ages, that are consistent throughout the Bible, and that is the, the, the principle, the principle in the Bible, of abundance, of abundance. This was an abundant amount of fish. This was more than this was more than anybody should have caught in one netting, in one fishing excursion. This was an abundance of fish. And you know, there's so many gospel and epistle statements in the Bible. He will never be thirsty again. John four fourteen. He will never be thirsty again. The man who comes to me. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The abundance of water, not a scarcity of water, but an abundance of eternal water, as it were, this metaphor that if you come to me, I am the living water. If you drink of me, you will never thirst again. In fact, not only will you not thirst, but it will well up into an abundance of of life. An abundance of water. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Not just if you come to me, uh, you will get by today. No, you will never hunger. There is an abundance. I am the bread of life. I am the wellspring of water. I am the abundant. I am the, One of my favorite verses, when I was a young person, when I was the age of these guys here, one of the verses that always really kind of stuck with me that, that um, I remember one of my first devotions I gave when I was doing devotions in youth group uh, was one of, this verse, verse here in John 10:10. In John 10, 10. I came that they might have life and what? Have it more abundantly. I came, amen's right, I came that they would have life and not just life, but they would have the abundant. What is the abundant life? You know, let's be honest. We don't always feel like we're living the abundant life. And unfortunately in our culture today, uh, this truth and this promise has been a little twisted by some to, to, to speak to consumerism, as if Jesus was talking about, if you come to me, uh, you will always be wealthy, you will always be a rich person, you will never get sick. Jesus and his disciples weren't rich people. Mary and Joseph were not rich people. They, gave, they offered the sacrifice of a poor person. Jesus said, I don't even have a home. You know, talk about a, a homeless um, Sorry about that. You didn't see that, did you? Natalie Shamari's birthday? Okay, showed up on my <laughs> I can't get rid of those birthday notifications on my iPad. And throughout the week, every so often your birthdays pop up at the most inappropriate times. So today is my daughter in law's birthday. Happy birthday, Natalie Shamaria. I was afraid you guys aren't seeing that, are you? <laughs> so I come today might have life and have it more abundantly. It is not about consumerism. Sure, we all like to have plenty of stuff. That's, that's fine. If God blesses you with, you know, use it and be generous. That's all, that's all, you know, God says, if God gives you more than you need, be generous. But that is such trivialization to take such a deep, spiritual, and real truth and trivialize it to stuff. The Lord Jesus said, I have come that you, that you, Pastor Jim, and that you would have life and have abundant, overflowing life, spiritual life, security, joy, hope, compassion, community. The things that are so important family and friends as the family of God, children. You know, grandchildren, loved ones, meaningful work, hobbies. You know, every, the things that, 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 are, that, that bring you joy because they're from the Lord. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. On Easter Sunday, we talked about this verse from Ephesians. These are cross the ages principles. Now to him, who is able to do exceeding abundantly. See, there's that word again. Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glorious to God in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. To him who is able to do abundantly more than we could even not even think what, even imagine. This is your God. This is my God. He loves us so much. He wants to give us so much. And I wonder sometimes, and I and I and, I, and I'm devotionalizing unapologetically. I'm a devotionalizing on this passage this morning. Do we sometimes is the net on the wrong side of the boat? Now, are we fishing where there's no fish? And, and, and God has given us the instructions in his word. He's already told us what he has done for us. He's already told us who we are, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He has already promised, you read the epistles, and he promises that, that we can have the same abundant life, the life filled with joy, with hope, with a relationship with God. That We are a new creation, the new humanity, the new man, the new people of God as a collective group and individually. We are new. If any man be in Christ, what? Behold, he is what? A new creation. All things have become new. The old has passed away. That is a fact. That is the reality. That is what God has done for us. And I just want to encourage you today, friends. If your life is... As a Christian believer, if it seems kind of dry, if it seems kind of like you're trying to fill it with stuff that's just not quite doing it, you know, we we're talking on Sunday nights from Ecclesiastes and Solomon. If anybody knew it, Solomon knew it. I want to encourage you: cast on the other side. Put it where God is. You got a Bible? If you don't, we'll give you one. We'd love to really, we'd love to give you one. You you got God's word. You can pray. We sang wonderful songs of worship and praise. You know songs that are in your heart that you can sing throughout the week. Spend time with God. Get to know this God who loves you so much and understand what he's done for you. How many fish did you catch? 153 fish. What has God given to you? What has God made available to you? As hard and as difficult and as challenging as life can be at times, friends, and so you know know that. I just want to encourage you today. Are you on the right side of the boat? Are you on the right side of the boat? Put your net where the fish are. Put it down where God is. And let God answer your heart. Let God, let God provide for you all that he will have. Children. How's the fishing? Have you caught anything? Try the right side of the boat. Try the right side of the boat. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, how much you love us. Uh, we have just a song that if ever we love you, our Lord Jesus, it's now. And we are reminded from your word. That we love you because you first loved us. We were not looking for you. You came looking for us. This is what you did for Adam. Where are you? And Father, you found us. You called us to yourself. And we are so thankful. And we do love you today, God. We don't always act like it. Uh, we look back over our, our week and, and sometimes we think, you know, we, we didn't act like it as much as we could have. But Lord, we're, we want to walk with you. And we we can put our our net on the right side of the boat and find truth in your word, truth in meditating on your word, and praying, being in Christian community, sharing in life together. And uh, Father, uh, we just want you to know we do love you today. We do love you. And we just pray that our lives this week, no matter what comes up, will reflect to those around us that we really do love you because you first loved us. And our wonderful and blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, in his name we pray. And all God's people say together Amen. Amen. Amen.